Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. Genius physicist Albert Einstein said, I have no special gift. I am only passionately curious. He continues, I am enough of an artist to draw freely upon my imagination. Imagination is more important than knowledge. Knowledge is limited. Imagination encircles the world. The important thing is not to stop questioning. Curiosity has its own reason for existing. One cannot help but be in awe when one contemplates the mysteries of eternity, of life, of the marvelous structure of reality. It is enough if one tries merely to comprehend a little of this mystery every day. And then he said this, never lose a holy curiosity. A holy curiosity. How beautiful is that? Elevating curiosity to the level of spiritual practice. When our own Reverend George Whitehouse was a little boy, he attended Trinity Church in Boston and sang in the children's choir there. Eventually, the Episcopalians had had enough of all his theological questions, skepticism, and doubt. His grandmother dropped him off at the great doors of Arlington Street Church, saying, essentially, go on in. The Unitarians like questions. George, now in his 80s, has been here ever since, and he's still asking questions. Not unquestioned faith, Holy curiosity is the bedrock of our spiritual tradition and also our birthrights as Americans. WBUR Cognoscenti writer Dan Rothstein says, we can imagine a dictatorship that doesn't encourage questions, but we should expect more from a democracy. Here's one of my favorite stories of holy curiosity. You know it, listen with fresh ears. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush burned with fire and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to see, God called out to him in the midst of the bush, saying, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here am I. And God said, Draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from thy feet. For the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. You are standing 
on holy ground. In the largest context, this is an extraordinary moment in the history of God's relationship with human beings. God goes on to conscript Moses to lead his people out of slavery and to the promised land. But setting in motion that exodus to freedom was only possible because Moses turned aside. He turned his attention to the fire and God spoke. Moses could have been distracted or oblivious. He could have just kept tending his sheep. But instead, he engaged his holy curiosity, and everything changed. Can we practice like that? Can we practice remembering that we, too, are standing on holy ground? This is writer Nicole T. Walters reflecting from India on holy curiosity. Every day I look out over my little corner of the world through a smudged floor-to-ceiling window watching this intersection of four roads that is such a symbolic intersection of all of life. From the time I pull back the paisley curtain, blinking at the light pouring into my room, to the time I watch the moon rise over the concrete skyline, I find my way back here several times a day just to notice. It's a place where beauty and chaos meet. They mingle like the dance of the rickshaws and cars. The lush coconut palms stand in contrast to the fading, cracked sidewalks. The rising sun glints off windows of the high-rise across the street and the tin roofs of the slums beneath it. The nuns shuffle past, their white habits and white shoes standing out against the black street. In the evening, crowds of men return from the mosque after the lost call to prayer has sounded for the night. I love the way this place isn't afraid of paradox, a world of both and. Maybe this is why I love South Asia so much. It's as if the very land that cradles the ancient and the modern side by side gives the people permission to live with dualities. Here, the colors are brighter, the noise is louder, the smells stronger, and the diversity of life is on full display. Through this window, I've borne witness to wedding processions, the sound of the band arriving first, the horse and drums reverberating off the buildings. I run to catch sight of the groom on horseback, covered in marigolds. I've seen joyful celebrations, flags waving and chants raised high, praising the national cricket team's victory. And from the safety of this room, I shook as I watched police launch tear gas at student protesters and heard their shouts. Here, wonder and horror, joy and lament are allowed to coexist, like the bride that weeps as she departs her family home and crosses the threshold into her new life. I can learn to mourn and to celebrate at the same time. Franciscan friar Richard Rohr said, Spirituality is often more about unlearning than learning.
Here I set down my certainties. My now open, empty hands are free to embrace the mystery. I engage a holy curiosity. Diplomat, activist, and First Lady of the United States, Eleanor Roosevelt famously said, I think at a child's birth, if a mother could ask a fairy godmother to endow her child with the most useful gift, that gift should be curiosity. In 1935, she published a piece in the Saturday Evening Post called In Defense of Curiosity. It begins, a short time ago, a cartoon appeared depicting two miners, as in coal miners, looking up in surprise and saying with undisguised horror, here comes Mrs. Roosevelt. She continues, in strange and subtle ways, it was indicated to me that I should feel somewhat ashamed of that cartoon. And there certainly was something the matter with a woman who wanted to see so much and to know so much. And then she takes a leap between being curious and the power of resting deeply in the object of our contemplation. Repose and a feeling of peace are an absolute necessity, she writes. Repose is not a question of sitting still. It's a kind of spiritual attitude. No superficial human being can have it. Real repose requires depth, a rich personality, is something that comes from the soul. And so Eleanor Roosevelt equates engaging holy curiosity with contemplation, depth of character, and peace. She sent me right back to Ralph Waldo Emerson, Unitarian minister, philosopher, and abolitionist, born in Boston 218 years ago this past Tuesday. He wrote, standing on the bare ground, my head bathed by the blithe air and uplifted into infinite space, all mean egotism vanishes. I become a transparent eyeball. I am nothing, I see all, the currents of the universal being circulate through me. I am part or parcel of God. My own experience of people who, is who are curious is that they're more than occasionally quirky, but never bored. They're given to exploration, innovation, growth. They embrace change. Their thinking, and now we're back to Albert Einstein, is unfixed, unfettered. They're constantly moving between observing the world with a wide open mind and plumbing their inner experience of everything they're seeing, hearing, tasting, touching, feeling. They might be afraid, but their curiosity gets the better of them. They just don't want to miss anything. They question with the energy of a two-year-old how, what, when, where, how, who, and best of all, why? English writer Samuel Johnson said, curiosity is in great and generous minds, the first passion and the last. I'll close with my favorite story told by American Tibetan Buddhist nun Pema Chodron. 
It is often used as an illustration about fear as a teacher, but I hear it as a profound lesson in holy curiosity. Pema Chidron had gone to a man's lecture about his spiritual experiences in India in the 1960s. He was struggling with anger and lust, he said, struggling with laziness, pride, and fear. His meditation told her, teacher told him to stop struggling. When that didn't work, he sent him off to meditate in a tiny hut in the foothills. The man shut the door and settled down to practice, and when it got dark, he lit three small candles. Around midnight, he heard a noise in the corner of the room. In the darkness, he saw a very large snake. It looked to him like a king cobra. It was right in front of him, swaying. All night, he stayed totally alert, keeping his eyes on the snake. He was so afraid he couldn't move. There was just the snake and his fear. Just before dawn, the last candle went out. The man began to weep. He cried, not in despair, but from tenderness. He felt the longing of all the animals and people in the world. He knew their alienation. All his meditation had been nothing but further separation from them. He accepted, really accepted wholeheartedly that he was angry and jealous, that he resisted and struggled, and that he was afraid. He accepted that he was also precious beyond measure, wise and foolish, rich and poor, and totally unfathomable. He felt so much gratitude that in the total darkness, he stood up, walked toward the snake, and bowed. Then he fell asleep on the floor. When he awoke, the snake was gone. He never knew if it was his imagination or if it had really been there, and it didn't seem to matter. As he put it at the end of the lecture, that much intimacy with fear caused his dramas to collapse, and the world finally got through. Pema Chudrin concludes, the trick is to keep exploring and not bail out. The trick is to live with holy curiosity. Beloved spiritual companions, can we practice like that? Can we practice remembering that we too are standing on holy ground? In great and generous minds, curiosity is the first passion and the last. Real repose requires depth. It comes from the soul. Spirituality is often more about unlearning than learning. Precious beyond measure, 
and totally unfathomable. May we choose holy curiosity. Amen. And now for our benediction, I invite you to put your hands over your heart in namaste. I bow to the divine in you. Adapted from environmental activist and writer Terry Tempest Williams, this is our living faith, an active faith, a faith of verbs to question, explore, experiment, experience, walk, run, dance, play, eat, love, learn, dare, taste, touch, smell, listen, speak, write, read, draw, provoke, cry, kneel, pray, bow, rise, stand, look, laugh, cajole, create, confront, confound, be curious. Let us keep this faith, beloveds, and carry it on. The service begins when the service ends. Bless your hearts. I love you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office at ASCBoston.org or through our Facebook page. If you would like to support the good work of Arlington Street Church, please consider a contribution by checking the mail or through our website, ASCBoston.org.